you hardheads, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is, wherever you are in this wonderful world of ours. Welcome to the Hardheaded Sports Podcast, episode number 35, hosted by me, Nick Ryan. Hope you all have had a fantastic week. I celebrated a birthday on Wednesday, didn't feel so good yesterday, and here we are today on a gloomy Friday in Northern Florida, a gloomy, rainy Friday. It's one of those early spring days where it's just rainy outside and all you want to do is maybe crack open a window if you're able to do so and sit down with a book or lie in your bed and do nothing but be unproductive. It's one of those types of days. And I certainly took that liberty this morning, being incredibly unproductive when I should have been recording an episode and being productive. But additional to that, uh, I am suffering from a debilitating injury, should take about six to eight months to fully heal. Uh, Just kidding. I just have a kink in my neck. That is literally the only thing that is wrong. But I don't have any range of motion in my neck. So if I look over to my left, I kind of have to shift my entire body. And what's over to my left, it is my monitor with all my notes. It always happens when you feel like you're in a really good sleeping position too, right? Whether or not you're on your side or your stomach or your back. I'm a back sleeper for the most part, so I have my 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 head sandwiched between two pillows. And normally it's in a pretty comfortable position. I try to have my neck at a decent level to where I don't put myself in these positions. But I don't know if I just slept really wrong last night, but I have a debilitating kink in my neck and I'm never ever going to be able to recover. I demand some workers' compensation. Um, I don't know how that's going to work considering that I'm the CEO, the analyst, the treasurer, uh, the assistant, the intern, the employee. I'm pretty much everything when it comes to this podcast, so I don't know how workers' compensation is going to work. Regardless of that, I've got a pretty good show for you today, Uh, a wide variety of topics, a bit of a catch-up show. As I said, I was celebrating a birthday on Wednesday, so the content that would have come out yesterday is now coming out today. We have a little bit more to talk about. It might be split up into two shows if need be, or I can just try and power through and get it into one show. We shall see what happens. It's already a little bit late in the day, so again, it is a, I guess we'll cross that bridge when we come to it type of deal. We're going to continue our free agency grades. We're going to cover the NFC West today. We're almost there. We only have two more divisions to go. We're going to do the NFC West today, then move on to the possibility of the Denver Broncos moving on from Drew Locke and taking a quarterback at number nine. I know we've made a couple of speculation videos about teams that could take quarterbacks already, but with more and more teams opting out, most recently Carolina, since they traded for Sam Darnold, you would think that they're opting out of taking a top five quarterback in the first round of the NFL draft. So now... Some of those teams that are in later draft slots, do they have the possibility of having somebody fall to them or fall into their laps? And if they do, do they take that player or not? We'll talk about that today. Another team uh, kind of in the news was the Cowboys at number 10. Apparently, Jerry Jones is infatuated with Kyle Pitts and he wants to trade up and get him. That would be the most Cowboys Jerry Jones things that he could possibly do. Uh, I disagree with that move. I'll tell you why. That should be a short and sweet segment. And then we're going to talk about something that's not so short and sweet, really not sweet at all. Uh, A former NFL cornerback had a horrible shooting or committed a horrible shooting over the past couple of days. I, I kind of want to tie it back to my take on Chad Wheeler from a couple of months ago, where I feel like the NFL needs to do a better job of protecting people outside of football, not only players with mental illness going into football, but players that develop mental illness coming out of football, whether it be to CTE or concussions or uh, maybe an addiction to drugs, some painkillers, anything along those lines, the NFL needs to do a better job of protecting people. Uh, They now have blood on their hands in multiple ways this season or this year, and it's only April. 
and uh, it's not a good look for the NFL. We're going to talk about that uh, a little bit. And then finally move on to some MLB predictions. I've been really lazy about getting my MLB predictions out. It's a little bit late. We're already about a week into the MLB season. We're going to have a couple of predictions. Cy Young MVP, who's going to win the divisions. We'll cover that all when we get to it. But today we are going to start as we normally do with the NFL free agency grades. We are almost there, ladies and gentlemen. We are covering the NFC West today. And then we're going to finish off the segments with the NFC north the next show and as per tradition recent history we're going to go in mostly alphabetical order and give the grade before we go into the spiel about what these teams did during the offseason to receive these grades and we are starting with the Arizona Cardinals today the Cardinals get a B plus and a special connotation the Cardinals are this year's recipient of the retirement home team for the 2021 NFL free agency uh, before free agency really began, the Cardinals surprised everybody by acquiring J.J. Watt, which by himself is a top 10 pass rusher in the league when healthy. And across from Chandler, Do Chandler Jones, uh, the Cardinals should ideally have one of the best pass rushes in the NFL this upcoming season. Again, Watt is over 30. A lot of the signings for the Cardinals this year are a lot of experienced veteran players. Again, they get the retirement home award for this 2021 NFL free agency so far. Uh, the Cardinals, in addition to want, also signed Marcus Golden, who is another good rotational outside linebacker in that pass rush. The, the Arizona Cardinals defense is going to be really good next year. Uh, another signing, A.J. Green, he's another underrated signing. He had a horrible year last year, a dismal year. I think he only caught 50% of his passes, either contested or uncontested. I remember seeing that stat somewhere. He's had a dismal season in Cincinnati. Most of his career has been thrown away by the Bengals, and I think a change of scenery is is really going to help A.J. Green, I think, behind Hopkins and Fitzgerald. If Fitzgerald decides to come back and Christian Kirk and uh, Isabella, there there is a good foundation there at wide receiver for Arizona for A.J. Green to slide right into. I think it's a great signing. The Cardinals also traded for Rodney Hudson, who had a bad year last year as well, but he has graded extremely high in prior years as a center so if last year was the floor he's got a tremendous ceiling and that offensive line in addition to them re-signing Kelvin Beecham uh, is going to be much much improved so not only has the defensive line improved but the offensive line has improved for Arizona as well and the last really big signing that the Cardinals made was signing Malcolm Butler to replace a departing Patrick Peterson who sucks Patrick Peterson has been a staple of that Arizona Cardinal defense for years and years and years Malcolm Butler is a pretty good replacement if you ask me again most of these signings are on the older side they do get the retirement home award for this offseason but the Arizona Cardinals for the most part I've enjoyed their signings I think they've made smart moves I think they've become a better football team and if Kyler Murray can really take that next step in his development this offseason, the Cardinals could potentially be wildcard team this upcoming season. The Cardinals get a B-plus. Moving on to the Los, uh, the Los Angeles Rams, excuse me, who get a B-minus. Now, the Rams are obviously big spenders. They've always been big spenders, especially when it comes to trading and signing people to massive contracts. That's who the Rams have been in recent memory. And this year, they spent most of the space that they had signing Leonard Floyd to a four-year success. $64 million contract. Now, Floyd by himself isn't really worth uh, $16 million a year. I don't think that he is, but kind of like how Bud Dupree got a huge payday from the Tennessee Titans. 
it definitely matters who you end up playing with. And Leonard Floyd ends up playing with and lining just off of Aaron Donald, who is a three- or four-time defensive player of the year. He is the best defensive tackle in football, potentially the best defensive player in football, depending on who you ask. And if you can get Leonard Floyd to be productive behind Aaron Donald, that price point, although expensive, is going to be mostly worth it. So I think the Rams could have gotten him for cheaper, which is why I'm not grading this signing much higher than a lot of people would. But it's still a good signing. The Rams did lose two of their de best defensive backs, however, in free agency to Cleveland, uh, John Johnson III and Troy Hill. And that's going to hurt them over the top, but that defense should continue to be strong, especially up front. And the Rams also signed Deshaun Jackson, so that is a nice deep threat for new Rams QB Matthew Stafford, which is the quote-unquote biggest addition to the Rams during this offseason, whether or not you count that as part of free agency, that's up to you. As I said, when it happens, Stafford is expensive. I think they overpaid for him, but he can very well bring the Rams back into Super Bowl contention. The Rams get a B-minus for some expensive signings, but ones that are probably going to be beneficial moving forward, and they're going to have to continue to wiggle in and out of cap hell with voidable gears, converting salary into bonus, yada, yada, all the, the nits and needles that um, NFL teams use to stay under the salary cap. Moving on to the Seattle Seahawks, a lot has been made of the Seattle Seahawks offseason based on the Russell Wilson comments that came out a couple months ago, and everything sent the media into, oh, Russell Wilson's going to be traded, that whole spree. Um, the Seahawks went out and got the one thing that Russell Wilson was asking for, and that was some offensive line help. They, they traded for Raiders guard Gabe Jackson, who should be a really big improvement to that offensive line, uh, and he will definitely improve the running links for Chris Carson, who the Seahawks also re-signed. I didn't put down the exact number in my notes, but it was a decently substantial contract, um, and I was a bit surprised that the Seahawks did sign Chris Carson, not because he's not a good player. I think he's a great running back. There's no doubt in my mind, but the Seahawks have been drafting a lot of running backs recently, uh, DJ J uh, Dallas out of Miami, for instance, so they theoretically could have moved on and saved a lot of money and put more money into the offensive line and repairing the defense, so I like Carson as a player, and it's a good signing on paper, but I think when you take price point and who you have available behind him, I think the, the Seahawks probably could have moved on from Chris Carson in some capacity and helped elsewhere. So, again, not the player. It's really just the signing and the decision-making. I don't know if the Seahawks made the right decision in signing Chris Carson over getting help elsewhere. Uh, additionally, the Seahawks signed Rams tight end Gerald Everett, who should be an okay tight end for the Seahawks, who really haven't had a good tight end since Jimmy Graham. I mean, Greg Olson really wasn't much of a help last year for Seattle. Um, the Seahawks did get much worse on defense, though. As I already said, they let go of Shaquille Griffin, who was their best defensive back. In a year in which the defensive backs really struggled, Struggled. Jamal Adams came in and he helped, but it was a very inconsistent year for Seattle in the secondary, and they lost one of their two best players back here, back there. The Seahawks signed Akella Witherspoon to try and stop the bleeding in that aspect. He's going to be a decent replacement, nothing too crazy. Um, Seattle also signed Kerry Hyder from the 49ers, who will be a good pass rush addition to Seattle. And other than that, Seattle spent a lot of time re-signing a lot of their own players, Tyler Lockett, Carlos Dunlap, to name a few. 
The defensive backcourt is going to be a bit of a problem for Seattle moving forward, but they did a pretty good job of re-signing the players that they needed to and improving the offensive line, which does give them a more positive grade than an average grade. Again, the Seahawks get a B-. Moving on to the last team, which is the 49ers. I know all the conversation around San Francisco right now is who they're going to be taking in the number three draft selection, but as far as the San Francisco offseason is concerned, it was mostly very solid. Uh, talking about how they spent, you know, or excuse me, talking about how much they spent to move up in the draft, you know, putting that out of the equation. The 49ers re-signed Trent Williams to a massive six-year contract, and although the numbers look gigantic on that, it has the potential to be a very team-friendly deal moving forward. And although expensive, it's going to really pay off, especially with the signing of Alex Mack, a center from Atlanta, who's going to reunite with Kyle Shanahan. That offensive line is going to be the best offensive line in the league next year if they all stay healthy. You have the number one and number two uh, power football focus ranking uh, for offensive linemen, uh, I believe, from last season, in addition uh, to Alex Mack joining. So it's Alex Mack, uh, McClinchy, and Williams all on that offensive line. The run is going to be very hard to stop in San Francisco if they all stay healthy. Additionally, the 49ers signed two important defensive back to prove it deals to Quisky Tart and Jason Verrett signed for cheap one-year deals, allowing the 49ers to upgrade elsewhere. And the, some of those small signings were like Muhammad Sanu, Ronald Blair really added depth to the 49ers who had interesting depth already. They were completely ravaged by injuries last year, and you really saw that depth come onto display. And now they've added even more depth. The 49ers had a really good offseason, a really good free agency, and if they get the right quarterback in the draft, do not be surprised if they're in the Super Bowl next season. The 49ers get a solid B rating for their free agency offseason, and that is the NFC West free agency grades. Again, we're going to finish with the final division being the NFC North, and that is going to be during the next show, whenever that will be. So if your team is in the NFC North, you've been waiting for a long time. They're coming next and then we'll wrap everything up. We'll get a playlist going and everything will be together. So did you think that I got these grades right? Comment down below. If I missed something, let me know. And if you have any other types of grades that you want to give out, maybe a signing that I missed, please let me know in the comment section below. Well, I sound like such a YouTuber when I say that. <laughs> it's really just, I guess, my prior experience and kind of habit to say, hey, comment in the comment section down below. Um, I was going to talk about the Denver Broncos next and a little bit about the Dallas Cowboys considering what they want to do with the number nine and number 10 draft pick. And we'll get to that later in the show. But I wanted to talk about this first because it's been on my mind pretty heavily. It's been on my mind. I've had a couple days to think about what I want to say about this. It's going to be a little rough to talk about. These things rarely are never, are, they're rarely easy to talk about. One of the most popular videos and one of the most popular takes on this show so far, especially when it comes to views on YouTube, was when I talked about Chad Wheeler. And if you don't remember who Chad Wheeler is, Chad Wheeler was the former Seattle Seahawks offensive lineman who nearly choked his girlfriend to death twice, dislocated her elbow, and beat her to a bloody pulp. He, he had attempted to murder her uh, during a manic episode due to him being off his bipolar medication. And at the time, my argument was, look, once you're off your medication, you forfeit every single right to use mental health as an excuse for your actions. You need to stay on your medication. Wheeler has no excuse. He should be in jail for attempting to murder his girlfriend. 
And at the time, I was a little upset that that was the video that was kind of getting the attention. It's, you know, I, I'm always happy to see videos doing well, especially for my channel science. It's a new channel. It's a new show. It's growing. I want it to grow as anybody would. And I was a little upset that that was the video that was getting attention because it's so negative and it's covering something so horrific. It's like, why can't something more positive get some more attention? Like, like why, why can't my rant on how the Eagles have completely fluffed their season for the next couple of seasons, for, for example, why can't that be the video that blows up? It's got to be the video about domestic abuse, right? But on the other hand, I was also a little relieved that people were more or less agreeing with my position and people were taking kindly to my opinion. Because once you dip your pinky toe into the proverbial controversial pool, there is a very big risk of a great white shark coming out of the pool and biting your, your foot off, so to speak. It's, it's, it's not a water you want to test too often. And I was happy with the outcome even though the outcome was in the light of a horrific situation. And during that time, I called on the NFL to be better. I, I called on the NFL to do more to prevent struggling athletes like Wheeler from not only being on NFL teams in the first place, but from committing crimes outside of the NFL and outside of football. The NFL needed to do better preventing players like Wheeler from getting into the league, and they needed to do better protecting players like Wheeler outside of the league once they left the league and not only protecting the players but protecting the players friends and the players families or anybody that could be at risk if one of the players ends up flipping or snapping so when i hear about philip adams 32 year old former nfl cornerback who on wednesday shot a doctor and his wife shot the doctor's grandchildren two of them one age nine one age five i believe and shot an air conditioning repairman at the house that just unluckily was there at the time. And I see that he was a former NFL cornerback. And now there are rumors suggesting, or let me, let me retract a little bit on that. They are going to scan his brain in the autopsy for CTE. And the running theory being that the concussions he suffered while playing football in combination with some other outside factors. He struggled with money. Uh, but, uh, he went to this Dr. Leslie for treatment, supposedly. So medication could be on the table as well. So whether it's CTE, whether it's financial trouble, where, whether it's depression, a whole com combination of factors could have driven him to do this horrendous act. But a big proponent of that being CTE. And it all goes back to my point, my, my calling on the NFL to do better. There are programs to help NFL players outside of football if they need it. Um, I'm not exactly sure what exactly they specialize in, but I'm sure there's one for drug abuse. I'm, I'm fairly sure that there's one for financial issues as well. Correct me if I'm wrong, please. But there needs to be more done. I would argue, and maybe this is a little bit reactionary and a little bit extreme, but there needs to be a dedicated division of the NFL that is specifically tasked with keeping tabs on every NFL player, coach, assistant, ball boy. I don't care how far you have to go down the tree to get to the roots. You need to check on everybody that has ever stepped foot or has any has any connection to the NFL. There needs to be tabs on those players to make sure that they are mentally well, financially okay, and 
not about to go off the deep end because Philip Adams may be another case in which his life was spiraling out of control, especially with a pandemic, and this could have been prevented. With a little bit more care by the NFL to take care of the players that have played in the NFL. Because by all reports, you know, his family says that he was a happy person. He was a quieter person. He was described as a loner. Apparently, he, he made about $3.6 million during his time playing in the NFL, and he wanted to open a smoothie shop, and apparently that failed. So he was financially in trouble. He reneged on the opportunity to go and try out for the Indianapolis Colts at one point. His agent said, uh, according to a New York Times article that I read this morning about it, he refused to, or not refused, but he was very uninterested in trying out for the NFL again. So he felt like his career was over. He was losing money. He had a child to take care of. He couldn't find work. And he was described as a chill, shy loner. And everybody thought that everything was fine, but if anybody struggles with mental health, you can you can point to the fact that it's the quiet ones that you need to look out for most of the time. And again, maybe it's a little bit of an overreaction, to say the least. But the fact that in the first four months of 2021, it's only April 9th. It's, it's only been the first four months of this year, and the NFL has blood on their hands twice. And this one was even worse than Chad Wheeler. Chad Wheeler was horrible. Deserves to be in jail. He almost killed his girlfriend. There was blood on the NFL's hands there. There's some deep blood red on the NFL's hands in this situation. There needs to be more done. And and I do not want to put all of the blame on the NFL because obviously the people around Adams deserve a little bit of blame and blame like a soft type of blame. You need to understand when somebody's struggling. You need to try and understand when somebody's struggling as well. Like you can't just dogpile on the NFL like it appears that I'm doing a little bit. You can't just dogpile on the NFL and say, this is all your fault. You should have done better. You should have known better because the NFL is a gigantic corporation. But with that being said, I still feel like there needs to be more done. There needs to be more done to check on players that are out of the NFL because you can prevent things like this from happening. Hell, Mark Cuban, uh, who was the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, essentially saved Delonte West, a former player of his, and wasn't a player for long, off the street, gave him a job, and put him into rehab. If more things like that happens in the NFL, in, in, a, in a sport in which mental health issues are very prevalent, there's a lot of uh, violence, players can be prone to health issues, can be prone to violence, can be uh, prone to brain issues. I hope I'm coming off as clear as I want to be. There, it's not the NFL's fault specifically, but the NFL should still do more to try and prevent things like this from happening, to protect players, to protect players' families, and to protect the people that NFL players or former NFL players associate with. That's all I'm saying. It's a heartbreaking situation. I My heart hurts so poorly for those people that were killed in there and the rest of that family. And he killed children, too. That's that's the the, the messed up thing. He was clearly not in his right mind. But whether that's due to CTE, whether that's due to overwhelming depression, anxiety, uh, uh, um, 
insanity, you know, you feel like the world is crumbling around you, whether it was financial troubles, you know, who knows, right? But they're going to send his brain to be CTE scanned, and if he has CTE, oh boy, there there could be another wave of, of CTE settlements coming, and, and there should be better help for these players. So towards the end of my Sam Darnold trade segment, when I was finishing up giving my take on that trade, I mentioned that the biggest winner of this trade could potentially be a team that's not even involved in the actual trade. And I was referring to teams like the Denver Broncos sitting at number nine. And I named them specifically because they're in the best position out of all of them. See, there's been a, there's been a bit of a upheaval when it comes to the conception of who's going to be drafted in that top five quarterback circle in the top 10 picks in the NFL draft. There's Lawrence, Wilson, Fields, Lance, Mac Jones. And then things kind of calm down from there. There's other quarterbacks like Kyle Trask, Kellen Mond um, available, going to be available in later rounds that teams will probably take a chance on. I imagine that those two will definitely be drafted at some point. But the top five quarterbacks are, are all, you know, highly sought after. And it's a little interesting because now that Carolina has traded for Sam Darnold, they've bowed out of the quarterback conversation. Atlanta is trying to trade out of number four, or they are more than likely going to draft pits. That's been the new news that's been coming out of Atlanta recently. So now there's the potential for a franchise quarterback to fall to teams like Denver, New England, Washington, past the top 10 picks in the NFL draft. And obviously the Broncos are sitting at number nine. The Lions don't need a quarterback. The Eagles shouldn't take a quarterback. Miami's is uh, committed to Tua and Atlanta does just does not appear to be interested in a quarterback, even though I think that they are being really quiet about it. And if they really wanted to, they could probably steal a franchise quarterback and start that rebuild early. But who knows? So if you're a team like Denver, and this is the big million-dollar question, if you're a team like Denver, if a franchise quarterback that you like enough, if the runs of the litter of whoever falls out of that top-five quarterback conversation, whether that be Fields, whether that be Lance, whether that be Mac Jones, whoever falls out, if he falls to you at number nine, do you take him? And George Patton, who is the general manager for the Denver Broncos, He's been looking to upgrade his quarterback play. He's been in on the Stafford talks. He's been in on Watson. He's potentially trying to trade for Bridgewater. There, There is a lot of kind of... Uh, I've, this is the second time I've used this analogy in the show, actually. There's been a lot of uh, toe-dipping in the pool for a new quarterback because Drew Locke has proven to be really inconsistent. And more importantly, I think Drew Locke doesn't have the John Elway seal of approval anymore. He doesn't have that gigantic shiny amulet that says, I have John Elway's approval. Uh, John Elway has stepped out of the general manager general manager position for the Broncos he's not the guy leading anymore and Locke was Elway's guy so with a new general manager in his first season if a franchise quarterback that you like enough falls to you at number nine what do you do do you take him I mean because look I said it before Drew Locke has been inconsistent the first couple of games that he played at the end of his first season I was like okay you know what I can see where they're coming from on this he has the potential to be a Dak Prescott type of drafty in which you nab him on the second day the second or third day and he proves to be a very viable quarterback a game manager at the very least but last season I watched Drew Locke and I was just like 
I, I'm not so sure about this. I don't know. Uh, I He was wildly inconsistent. The Broncos' offense struggled mightily last season. They do have some def- uh, decent offensive weapons, but the quarterback play was very underwhelming. And I, I don't like Drew Locke's attitude necessarily. I think he's way too cool. Uh, to be an NFL quarterback, and when you're that kind of too, when you're that kind of chill, and you can't produce wins, that's an issue for me. Uh, nonchalantness do- isn't exactly the number one characteristic that I look for in a quarterback. There's a difference between being nonchalant and being chill and calm on the sidelines. But to the point, uh, Drew Locke potentially is going to be out of Denver very soon, and if the runt of the litter, whoever that is, that comes into the top five, if he's there, do you take him? Now. The argument specifically for the Denver Broncos is, look, the Broncos need a right tackle and they need a linebacker. You could take Rayshon Slater out of Northwestern at number nine, and I think that would be a really fantastic pick for the Denver Broncos. I've I've offered up the name Rayshon Slater to a bunch of teams, like I have all the owners on speed dial on my phone, right? But <laughs> I, I've suggested Rayshon Slater for a bunch of teams. I think he would plug a lot of holes. He could play a lot of positions, and he plays on the right side, tackle, guard, center even. The potential is there. He is a great upside for a pro, or you could take a linebacker, which... I've talked about this a lot when I talked about the AFC division around between the Browns and the Chiefs in the playoffs this last season. One of the big problems with the Browns defense during that game was the fact that they did not have the speed to keep up with the speediness of the Kansas City uh, offense, whether that be Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, Nicole Harmon, etc., etc. The Broncos have been suffering from a similar uh, deficit being in the in the um excuse me, the Chiefs division, they have not had the linebacker speed to effectively cover the Kansas City Chiefs when they do play. So you can get somebody like Micah Parsons. You can get somebody like uh, Jermaine Kabusu Amora. I believe his name is out of Notre Dame. I always butcher his name and I feel so bad about it. But you do have the potential to get a really big plug in a big hole that you have on both offense and defense, depending on which side you go on, if you're George Patton. But quarterback is the most important position on the football field and if you find a guy that drops to you at number nine whether that be Lance Fields or Jones do you pull the plug and take him I don't I I don't think I would as much as I dislike Drew Locke I think that you probably can go another year with him and try and plug more of those holes that you know the Broncos have and look the Broncos it's not like the Broncos have a bad team they had a really good free agency period too they do have a solid team so the quarterback would be the next step forward after this draft I believe but I think if you plug up one of those two holes that you have it's a step forward you give Drew Locke another chance even though he doesn't necessarily deserve one I think at this point I've seen enough to say I don't think so But, hey, that's just me. I'm interested to hear what you think. Would you take a quarterback at number nine if you're the Broncos, if one falls into your lap, or would you let him pass for a positional player? I think I would vouch for a positional player. So to end the show today, I wanted to finally get out this MLB season prediction video. I've been putting it off, and I'm not exactly sure why. I I think it's probably because baseball is my weakest sport, 
and it's definitely the one that I know the least about. I'm still, you know, pretty knowledgeable about it, but it's definitely the one where I park the brakes and I do the most research because I know that I want to be right. I can't just spitball uh, about it. So I've gone out of my way to go and talk to some extra people uh, in my circle, whether it's, you know, it's the people that I work with, whether it's huge baseball fans that happen to be my friends. I've gone to the extra lengths to talk to them and see what they are thinking about this season and kind of compare and contrast to what I already thought about this season. And don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not your high school English paper. I'm not going to copy and paste uh, everything that I've heard from everybody and just make it a video and call it a day. This is still my own opinion. This is still my informed opinion. That's the only thing that you're ever going to get on the Hard-Headed Sports Podcast. It's my informed opinion. But I, I was really putting off this video uh, or putting off this segment rather because I, I needed to do the extra research to make it feel like I made a, a, an informed enough opinion about the MLB season prediction. So with that being said, we're going to run across the board today, do division winners, uh, Cy Young MVP, and I'm not ready to call a winner of the World Series yet. I think it's way too early. Baseball is such a back and forth, uh, hot and cold sport, and it's, it, there's no way that anybody's really going to make an informed opinion. Although I will say that if I was forced against a wall, guns my head right now, who's winning the World Series, I think the Dodgers would be that team. I think that the Dodgers have the best chance to repeat as champions since the, the Yankees and the, at the turn of the century. Uh, I think they have the best chance to do so. I really like the pitching staff that the Dodgers have, especially Walker Buehler. He is a very popular pick for the Cy Young winner in the National League this year. But let's just go ahead and get into these predictions. Let's not cast it away any further. Let's just go through the division winners real quick. I've got the Dodgers, Braves, Cardinals, and then the Padres and the Mets coming in with the wild, with the wild card spots. Look, the, the Dodgers and the Padres, the back and forth between those two teams in the NL West is going to be the story of the season. And the Padres got off to a little bit of a slow start. They lost Fernando Tatis Jr. on opening day, I believe, a dislocated shoulder. He's on IL. So their star player, the the most paid his, uh, player in the history of the MLB is out, but they did throw a no-hitter recently, so it looks like this team is not only extremely good, but extremely confident, extremely uh, calm, and they can, will definitely give the Dodgers a run for their money this season. If they were in a division other than the one with the Dodgers, I would just say flat out that they win the division, but since they're in the same division, I think that they'll probably get into the wildcard game, and the unfortunate team to face the Padres in the wildcard game would probably be the New York Mets. I like what the Mets have done this offseason. I like the acquisition of Francisco Lindor, and I think that DeGrom is going to have his best season yet as a pro. I think that 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 pitching staff altogether. It's been good for multiple years, but I think this year now with some extra time and now with the time to have a full uh, 162 games, that staff is going to get really warm towards the middle of the season. They're going to go on a bit of a run. I like the Mets' chances this season, especially to make it to a wild card spot. I think that they will go first and second with the Braves. They'll go back and forth between uh, uh, or with the Braves throughout the majority of the season. I think the Braves have gotten off to a really iffy start. I'm not as confident about the Braves as I would have been if I made this video uh, right before opening day. Not as crazy about the Braves. I think they'll get off to a slow start and then they'll catch up somewhere in the middle of the season. The Braves and Mets will probably trade first place throughout the rest of the season. Marlins are, will continue to struggle. Nationals will continue to struggle. Um, 
And the Phillies, who are in first place right now, they've gotten they continuously get off to some pretty hot starts, and then things just kind of fizzle out somewhere in the middle of the season. So until they prove me wrong, I'm going to say Braves and Mets kind of control that division. And then the NL Central, the Cardinals are the best team in that division by far. The Pirates are struggling. The Cubs are will continue to kind of I guess degrade themselves. Uh, since their World Series victory, and the Reds also have gotten off to a fat, uh, a fat start, a fast start, but I don't see that continuing into the remainder of the season. The Cardinals are by far the best team in that division, and it's not even close. We will see them in the postseason. Moving over to the AL division winners, I have the Yankees, the White Sox, and the Astros with the Angels and Twins slash Blue Jays in the wild card. I had a lot of trouble picking wild card winners for the AL division. I think there's a bunch of teams that could surprise us this year, the Twins being one of them. And the Blue Jays probably had arguably one of the best off seasons this season for an MLB team. So the Blue Jays, if they get going at the right time, could definitely squeeze their way into a wild card spot. I think this is the year that the Angels and Mike Trout end up making the playoffs, or uh, again making the playoffs since what was it, 2015, that the Angels last made the playoffs. I think this is the year that they return. The Yankees are the most expensive team in baseball, I believe. Um, if if not, they're they're very close. It'll rely upon their injuries, as it always does. Um, I, I don't think the Yankees are going to make it to the World Series, but I think they're definitely the best team in that division. And then the White Sox are just as good on paper as they are on the television screen. The White Sox are an extremely deadly team. Don't let your past uh, opinions of the White Sox deter you from realizing that this is a really good White Sox team. And then the Astros are playing in a weaker division. They'll probably make the playoffs just based on that. And they'll get booed until the Astros die because that's what the Astros deserve. But moving on... <laughs> <laughs> um, Cy Young winners. I've got uh, DeGrom and Lance Lynn. Uh, DeGrom, obviously, for the Mets, I already expressed my opinion that I think that the Mets pitching staff is going to have an extremely good year. I think DeGrom is going to have another strong year, maybe his best season yet as a pro. Um, Trevor Bauer actually is under investigation for... Uh, using pine tar in his his pitches and obviously he was the Cy Young winner last year so maybe there might be some investigations into the Cy Young this year we'll see but DeGrom by himself I think he's going to have a fantastic year and I like Lance Lynn uh, from Chicago uh, getting the Cy Young for the AL he pitched a fantastic game the other night I was impressed with what I saw and I think moving forward if he can be that guy or one of those guys for the White Sox moving forward they will be that team that as I said is just as good to watch as they look on paper and then from for the MVP to kind of close things out and close the show Trout he's the best player in the game he's going to win MVP pretty much every single year and then a little bit of a diversion from what most people think. I think Mookie Betts is going to get MVP this year. I think that he's going to continue to carry the Dodgers on his back, even though that team is absolutely stacked and loaded. But I like Mookie Betts to get MVP this year for the National League. And again, if I had, if I was forced against a wall to pick a World Series winner this year, gun against my head, I would say the Dodgers pretty much have the best chance to repeat. They have the best chance to repeat since the Yankees team at the turn of the decade. And I will be very surprised if another team takes that crown. But that's what baseball is. Baseball is full of surprises. There's great parity in this sport. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the White Sox or the Padres or even a team like the Braves end up coming around and winning the World Series this year. But that is the end of the show. That is the MLB season predictions. I know it came a little bit late. It's the it's the kind of late MLB season 
predictions. Uh, that is the end of the show. I will probably be making another show at the beginning of next week. We've got a lot of things going on this weekend. So thank you so much for listening, for watching, and supporting the show. Uh, this is the Hard-Headed Sports Podcast, episode number 35, hosted by me, Nick Ryan. And on that note, stay hard-headed, but have a nice day.